The scripture reading this morning is Acts 27, verses 13 to 26. So if you are inclined to use uh, your Bible or your phone app, you can do that. Acts 27, verses 13 to 26. Otherwise, the scripture will be up here on the screen. Let's start with verse 13. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who will sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. So this morning, Pastor Matt is not here. He is uh, sick. We have a guest preacher. His name is Jonathan Schrader. So why don't you come up, Jonathan? Why don't you guys welcome him? <clears throat> so Pastor Schrader has uh, a decade of experience, political Nonprofit communications. He went to uh, Western Seminary up in Portland. For those of you who are interested in seminary and theology nerd stuff, um, and uh, he is a pastor here locally, uh, pretty close at a, um, a church called Reservoir. So I'm excited. I've already heard him preach uh, in the first service. I'm excited to hear him again. So why don't we pray for him and uh, receive him? Lord, we come before you this morning uh, thankful for your word. We thank you that it instructs us, builds us up, rebukes us, encourages us, and so many other things. And we pray this morning, Lord, that you would open our hearts to be receptive to it. We pray, Lord, that as your word goes out this morning, that we would ultimately see you and that we would respond to you. Lord, we pray this morning that as Pastor Schrader preaches, that you would empower him to remember all of those things that he studied, all of those things that he was convicted of by your spirit. And we pray, Lord, that he would be able to proclaim them boldly and faithfully and that we would be receptive to it. Lord, we pray that you would be honored in this time and that we would be blessed by you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen and amen. Pastor Schrader sounds so weird to me, so you're welcome to call me Jonathan or sir, um, whichever, yes sir, will do. And so you guys have heard about my spitting, 
Um, and so that's why there's two rows open. Uh, but it is, it's great to be with you guys. I am really close, so I actually live on Montview Drive, like right there behind the church. Um, and Reservoir meets at the corner of Citricado and Center City. We're in a strip mall full of churches, so if you just pick one, hopefully you'll get saved. Um, so it is an honor to be with you guys this morning here in Infusion. And I'm sorry that it's because Matt is sick, but thankful that the Lord arranged it that I might be available and come and share the word with you um, today. It's just that reality that sometimes the Lord changes our plans, even when we think they're the best plans that we can have. It's as if he does that, that he might give us more of an opportunity to trust him. And so I'm hoping this morning that this new opportunity will um, allow you and me to trust in him more. Because really, I think in the midst of a life of those opportunities to trust him, we actually experience what we're meant to. And that's a really good place to be. And I certainly, in my own background, have a lot of experience in that, having detours and um, different things go on. And so as I studied through um, a section of the book of Acts that we've read this morning, it made me think of uh, my own perfect plan that I had for my life. And it was really the best situation for me at the time, right? I had planned out for my future and all the success that I wanted to be defined by at the moment. Um, and it, just to give you a little background, I mean, like I was the student president and regent of my university of 20,000 students, right? So I thought I was really cool. So the next step then was for me to go to law school so I could eventually become one of these well-respected political leaders of our country. I really dodged a bullet on that one. Um, so law school becomes this next step, and then I um, think that it's going to be the key to my strategy, and I find myself really far from home, kind of on the open seas of life, if you will, to match our text this morning. But law school for me was not like anything else that had come before, because I'm that type, that I have that personality where I just wing it a lot, um, and I have a journalism bachelor, so I just kind of winged it through journalism school and succeeded there, and then I go to law school and everything is dependent, I don't know if we have any lawyers, but everything is dependent on the final exam, the one thing that you take, you sitting down with paper and pencil for like three or four hours answering the questions a professor has given to you. So there was a lot of pressure, there's no way to make up that grade or to add bonus points or do extra credit, the totality of your grade, no retakes, nothing, is all dependent on that final that one exam. So as I'm going through life in law school, that fateful day eventually comes when those grades are posted. This is back in the day before you could log on to your computer and find out what your grade was in the humility of your own home, and you actually had to go to the school with your name or number associated there and then find all the courses. And so I did that, and I show up to the law school and make sure no one else is around, and I look. And I knew it might be a little close, so I start and I see constitutional law, and it's like, okay, that's okay, that, that's good there. Criminal law, okay, I did fine. Torts, maybe my best grade, which you don't know if what torts is, it's ambulance chasing, so it tells you my personality. <laughs> got to legal writing, and I was like, eh, okay, I got by. Then on the board, I get to civil procedure 2, F. And so I failed, and you're out when you fail. I mean, this is a big deal. I'd taken the ship of my life out on the water, 
And in that moment, in that experience, dramatically crashed along the rocks of life. So you could describe it as a train wreck, a shipwreck, whatever wreck you want to use. I would agree that it described my life at that moment. I can remember thinking, like, well, what do I do now? Where do I go now? What is going to happen? The 30-year plan that I had set for my life was dealt a a deadly blow in that moment, and everything was going to change. As I look back and I evaluate what was going on, in that failure, Jesus was actually pursuing me. He was letting the chips fall where he wanted them to so that I would truly meet him and then learn to trust him. Today, if I look at my life with the right lens, I can see it just as a succession of detours leading me to Christ and to his purpose. And it's not just me, is it? So I think if you look at your life with the right lens, you would realize that this is your story as well, probably in different ways. Hopefully you didn't fail out of law school. The truth is that no matter what you're experiencing now or what you have persevered through in your life before, everything is happening according to plan. It's just not always your plan. But if you know the one who determines the times and the boundaries of all of humanity, then, friends, you can take courage. You can trust the one who calls you his own. So the big idea this morning from Acts 27, this story of shipwreck and Paul's response to it is that trusting the Lord is the life of the believer. This is what we get to do. This is how we get to go through life, trusting the Lord. Now, as you know, uh, through this series, you're going through some of the sections of the book of Acts. This book is the story of the birth of the church. We go from the ascension of Jesus to the imprisonment of Paul in Rome. In, In the midst of all that, there is the miraculous unfolding. There is the unhindered preaching of the gospel to people groups that were not expected to be good with God at that point. And there's forgiveness of sin proclaimed in the name of Jesus. And then we get here toward the end of this narrative that Luke is writing, and Paul is being delivered to Rome with other prisoners of the empire. He's been on trial for just about two years or so, and he's been first charged by the Jewish ruling council, and then he ends up giving his defense before the Roman-appointed governors and even the king there at Caesarea. And during his trial, Paul appeals to Caesar that he might present his case before the emperor rather than face a religious tribunal in Jerusalem. That's his right as a Roman citizen. It is a good right. And whether he planned it or not, it's actually his ticket to Rome, to this place that he desired to go to encourage the saints that were there and the church that was there. And then maybe he would go on from there to preach in lands where the name of Jesus had yet to be named. But on this journey, Paul is given just a great sense of deference, and people actually listen to him. Even as a prisoner, the centurion that's responsible to care for him lets him have a tremendous amount of freedom. He has a couple of traveling friends with him, and he's allowed uh, along the way of this, this voyage to get off the ship and be cared for by the church in the towns that they stop in. And then Paul also has this voice that is eventually heard and heeded in the story where he is encouraging the crew and the other prisoners. 
And this ship that they're on, it is meant for shallow coastal drifting. We get some sense of that as how it's described. And it happens to be in the water at the absolute wrong time of the year. The wind and the waves that are experienced in the Mediterranean winter are just too much for this ship. It's not able then to find a wintering port. And so the crew decides that they're just going to go on, keep on going on the journey. And then they end up in the midst of a 14-day long storm. Storm so traumatic and uh, difficult that they don't even see the light of day for the 14 days. And eventually, this ship will then run aground, and the waves will punish and destroy it, leaving those on board stranded. But just as through much of the book of Acts that maybe you've been seeing, we see something here of Paul's resolve, his steel in the face of danger and even the threat of apparent death. It's the truth that he has confidence in the God that he belongs to, and he then calls others to take courage because the purpose of God can be trusted. So it's the truth that God will take us where we are going, shipwreck or not. This is what Paul clings to, what he believes in, and what he shares with those on the ship with him. And just like Paul, we can then take courage when the waters rise, when things go terribly wrong, when life unfolds contrary to our best laid plans because this same God calls us his own in Christ. So as we go through the text this morning, kind of the, if you're a note taker, the, the points are just that his purpose prevails we take courage in his providence, and we can live trusting the Lord. So we start with the reality that his purpose prevails. And when stating that the purpose of God prevails, we have to make clear just who we think God is. So we believe that he is the creator and sustainer of the universe, whose thoughts and ways are higher than ours. And then we see biblically that somehow his decree, what he has actually determined to happen, and our will, this reality of human responsibility, those two things are compatible. They actually work together. So this is not then a God that is aloof and uninterested in your day. It's the truth that everything, even down to the breath that you are taking at this very moment, has been ordered by God. So when we say that his purpose prevails, we say so because he is the one who determines and decides what prevails and what doesn't. And he's a God of his word. And this is not some recently formulated theology Right, that we just, oh, this will get people back to church, right? Like, this is the mentality of the church in the book of Acts and throughout history. This is the thinking that Paul has as he's gone through his excellent adventure of following and then heralding the good news of Jesus. So, this is a really big view of God and his sovereignty, and it's enthusing Paul with a trust in him. And so, as we read this story, realizing who God is, we have to ask, why a shipwreck? Couldn't Paul have just easily had a smooth passage to Rome? Couldn't it have been at a different time of year where the ship may have gone earlier? Couldn't he have just teleported him like he did Philip? I've been asking the Lord for that, some teleportation. That'd grow my church. 
But why would the God who is in total control over the universe let his arguably most effective apostle have to swim for his life? How does that work? And maybe this morning you do not give a rip about Paul. But you would certainly like to know why you had a shipwreck. Now, while we don't have time for an exhaustive study this morning, I think we can recognize just a few reasons that life unfolds the way it does for those that believe in Jesus. First, I think it might just be discipline, right? To refine, sanctify, and correct those that he loves. The writer of Hebrews says that God does discipline for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. So when life happens, then as believers, we can evaluate what's going on and we can ask ourselves, is there any sin that is lingering? We can repent of that and then learn in the discipline and actually share in his holiness this transition to becoming more like Christ. So it may be discipline that's going on when shipwreck comes. But then life also progresses the way it does with its roadblocks and its hiccups because there is actually a cosmic enemy that is determined to rob us of our security and most importantly, our joy in Christ. We see it in the old story of Job that the devil must be allowed to trouble the faithful servant as the story unfolds. And then even Jesus makes this reality clear when he warns Peter of his coming denial in Luke 22. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So there's discipline that could be going on. And there's also war, like spiritual war that's happening. Then Maybe also it could just be the exposure of God's goodness. Because Paul preaches in Athens that God is the one that determines our seasons and our boundaries so that we will seek him, so that man will seek after God. So Jesus, even in his ministry, restates essentially the same thing when his posse is approaching this blind man that's in need of healing. His disciples ask him in John 9, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So, in the thoughts that are higher than ours, there may be a number of different reasons, but his purpose always rules. See, then, Proverbs 19, many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Even in Job, Job's response to God is that I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. This is the God that fulfills his purpose for us. And this, friends, is a promise that we receive on steroids in Christ. One pastor says, why are there storms and shipwrecks? God who controls the wind and waves could certainly have spared Paul his dire strait. And we know whatever God allows to come our way, he loves us and will give us sufficient grace to endure and remain faithful to him. That's really good news for us in the midst of any time of life, anything that we're experiencing. And this is the backbone that Paul has come rising water. 
When the wind and the rain are beating against the ship, when they're in danger, he knows that God's purpose prevails. For Paul, God has made a particular promise very clear to him. Go back to Acts 23, he has this vision and it says that the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so must you testify also in Rome. This is an unconditional promise to Paul, that he would go to Rome, no doubt about it. However, God did not promise smooth sailing along the way. For Paul, and he certainly didn't get it. So as we serve Christ, there will be storms, there will be hardships, there will be high seas, breakdowns, but friends, there will also be peace, assurance, fruitfulness, and the sustaining presence of God, the one whose purpose prevails. And Paul doesn't for one moment doubt that God is going to prevail. And all through his trial, through the threats that he received, through the violence he is beaten with years of things, not necessarily going to plan, he trusts. Then in our text, he has a visit. He calls everyone on the ship to take courage because he has been given a promise, an angel of God, the God that he belongs to, comes to him and says, don't be afraid, God is saving everyone here because you have to go to Rome. Now, if an angel comes to you today and gives you a declaration, you should talk to charity, you should write a book and sell a bunch of copies. (laughs) Or at least start with your pastor, tell him what's going on, right? This is a big moment. Like This is solidifying the reality of God's purpose. It's going to prevail to Paul. And then everyone on the ship receives this good report, and they start listening to him because of the promise and purpose of God. While we might not have a clear situational promise for each circumstance in our lives, we know that God's overarching purpose can still bolster us when the ships of life take on water. Because His purpose prevails. And we can take courage in His providence. Now, maybe you're different than me, but we don't usually seem all that keen to hear encouraging voices when we are in a sinking ship. Right, But the prisoners, the crew, and the passengers on this boat do. They, they want to hear an encouraging report. And so they hear Paul say, take courage because there will be no loss of any of your lives because of the God I belong to. I love this quote from R.C. Sproul. Anybody can believe that God exists. Believing in God isn't hard. What is difficult is believing God. Paul told the sailors that not one of them would perish, and he believed that God would do exactly what he said he would do. So then in that moment, Paul is inviting everyone to trust in the Lord, and this is exactly what the church does. If you want to know what your mission is in Escondido or beyond, it is to call people to trust in the Lord. And just like Paul, we can find our anchor, our resolve, and our trust in the midst of anything that's unexpected, in the midst of the difficult, the traumatic, because we belong to Christ. Those that believe in Jesus are made 
His, those that trust that his life of obedience has been granted to them, those that see their sin covered by the sacrifice on the cross, those that breathe with new life because of his resurrection, now belong to him forever. We've been ransomed with his life that we would be children of God. And once you are in, friends, you are secure. You belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God, just as Paul will tell the Corinthian church. That's your story. That's what you own. You can say, because of the God I belong to. If we belong to him, he cares for us. And his purpose is then ultimately for our good. Because of his promises because of his word to us we can trust we can take courage in his providence his control his detours that come along the way here's the the tricky thing because this courage won't always remove the pain but it will point us in the direction that God desires as we trust Jesus and there is no better place to be when the waves wreck the ship, when the storms just won't move on, when the path hits an unexpected turn or even a dead end, we turn to the one who holds us and who holds everything. We've declared it in song this morning, and we can declare it with the author of Hebrews. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The truth is, where you look matters. When the ship is taking on water, please, friends, look to Jesus. How many of you have ever been to Cabrillo Point? And it's our local national, national monument. It's beautiful. It just has some wonderful um, views of the whole San Diego Bay there. And one of the attractions at Cabrillo Point, if you haven't been, is the old lighthouse that's there on top of the hill overlooking all of San Diego and has a commanding view when you're there amongst the wind and the open sea, has this great placement high up there. But this is a lighthouse that helped almost zero ships in its functional life. Seems silly. Because the lighthouse is in the wrong place. Because in San Diego, we get way too much fog. There's always a marine layer that is in. And so you, being on the water, can't see always to the top of the hill. It's just in the wrong place. You might actually then end up on the rocks if you don't see the lighthouse. The thing that is meant to protect you, to tell you which way to go. So instead, eventually, the Coast Guard, being of right mind, builds an absolutely new lighthouse at the bottom of the point, on the water, so it could be seen and actually protect ships. It still works today. And this, for us, is just like the law. We have a call to live in perfection, to attain entrance into the presence of God, and it sits there high on the hill, out of reach, and then Jesus comes to the water He comes to where you are and he shines for your safety, for your salvation, for your truest life. And we trust him because he sets the seasons and tells the wind where to blow. And God is the one that is the true actor behind the scenes. He is the ultimate deliverer. Amen, preacher. Preach on, right? You came to my church, I'll train you to say amen. Amen.
I'm going to talk to Matt about it. But when we are anchored to the providence of God, we then can sustain others. Like this is what we're called to do. Just like Paul, we can call others to take heart, to take courage, because that is the purpose of God, to draw us and others to him. So everything in life serves that purpose, that we'd be drawn to God, to the truth of Christ. So take courage in his providence. Then live trusting Jesus. And what does it mean to trust Jesus? How do we actually live in response to his providence? And I think that that's often a hard one that we sometimes, you know, have a a transition to go from the theoretical to then the practical things of life. But we've got some great clues right here from this shipwreck story. Because the night before hitting the sandbar, Paul said, we are going to run aground. This ship is going to go down. But take courage because we're not going to die. But the night before, later in our text in verses 33 and 34, it says, As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. Which is more of a comfort to some of you than it is to me. Right? But here's, here's what we take from this text. When life hits, eat something, right? Oh, I can do that, Pastor. Okay. I'm going to do that with the church after service. Right? But take care of yourself. Get some sleep. Because this crew has gone 14 days without food, probably because they didn't want to get seasick because the ship is just being tossed to and fro, and then Paul urges them to eat. They're going to need energy for what's about to come. So for their survival, they need to care for their physical needs. Many of you have lived long enough to know that you would be tremendously surprised how much might just change in your life if we just ate right and got a good night's sleep, right? And my kids are eight, six, and four, so in another eight years or so, I'll be able to get sleep again. But I'm looking forward to it. Right? So go for a walk. Sign up for this hike with the ladies. Sit on a swing. Has anybody, have you been on a swing in adulthood? You get all crazy dizzy. It's nothing like when you're a kid. But it's great. Right? Just take a break and breathe in the rest that we are actually promised in Jesus. Because here's where our challenge is. So often we live a life as if we are going to take the role of Savior from Jesus. It's like, oh, that's nice, Jesus. Thanks, but I've got this, right? But friends, you are not saved by how you suffer, how many days you can go without. You are saved by the work of Jesus for you, so eat a snack and take a nap, right? And you can understand, know that it's a dangerous journey, fuel up for it, train for it, and then just live. The truth is, we don't hear a lot about sinking ships these days, right? You don't open your news app and see a ship has gone down. Those that most often make the news are cruise ships, right? It's fascinating because here's the perfect life with their parties, pastries, and pools, and they slowly sink and ruin a good vacation. And that, that is awful. Like, I'm not saying that's a good thing. But that, friends, is not a metaphor for the Christian life. Because we are actually on a battleship. Our Lido deck is actually the mission field, so our perspective should follow suit. 
So we live different, differently, trusting in Jesus. And I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. He says, pseudo-faith always arranges a way out to serve in case God fails it. Real faith knows only one way and gladly allows itself to be stripped of any second way or makeshift substitute. For true faith, it is either God or total collapse. And not since Adam first stood upon the earth has God failed a single man or woman who trusted him. Amen. Romans 8 says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. I'm so thankful that Romans 8 does not say we think that all things work together. But instead we know. That's taking courage. And this is not for one moment a call to stupidity. We can certainly be careful. We can study. We can plan. But we do all of that trusting in the one that we belong to. Trusting Jesus. And things won't Always makes sense. You know this. We see now is through a mirror dimly, but we know the one who keeps us and that he can be trusted. Sometimes storms come so that others will look beyond us and see Christ. So let others see you as you trust in the Lord. Friends, drop the facade of having everything figured out and perfect. Find support for your needs in life and then just run to Jesus over and over again. Your shipwreck might just be so that God's work might be displayed in you. And that would be glorious. Jesus is greater than yesterday's failures. Jesus is greater than today's pressures. And thank the Lord, Jesus is greater than tomorrow's anxiety. So where's your trust today? Are you... Trusting in your own ability, in your skills, your resume, your uh, ability to wing it in life. just encourage you to turn to Jesus. Believe in his life, death, and resurrection for you. And then keep believing it. Believe all the more in that truth that he gave himself to give you life. To bring you to God for your good and for his glory. And let him rescue you. Let him give you hope and someone to actually trust in. Come whatever may in life. This summer, my family, we we have an RV and so we're one of those people. But we did a trip to some national parks. We love national parks. And we went to Yellowstone this year. And so once we got back, we thought it would be appropriate that my wife and I would watch a television program about Yellowstone <laughs> to see what we didn't see while we were there. And so Stacy, my wife and I, you know, it's our Friday night, date night. Kids are in bed. We've got popcorn. Let's watch this Nat Geo show about Yellowstone. And we tune in, and they're following this harrowing experience of this one young bison calf. And it seems, when you look at this calf, it's just a day or mere hours old, and the calf is with its mother and the herd as they were crossing the Lamar River that goes through the park. And that just proved to be an absolutely terrible idea for this small calf. And despite all of its effort, all of its energy, and even its mother's best efforts to help it across the river, the calf is actually then, as you're watching, carried down the stream as the herd continues on in the other direction. This is a dramatic moment, and they cut to commercial. right? It's in life. They come back, and somehow, 
the calf, even through all that exhaustion, was able to get out of the water and ends up on this gravel island, this sandbar in the midst of the river, surrounded by water. Unsure and without her mother, the exhausted and cold calf just settled down to sleep as dusk comes and the night starts. And you watch that, you're sure, you know about the wilderness. There is no way this calf is going to make it through the night. But as dawn breaks, there's the calf in full view of the camera, standing ready to continue on her journey if only she could figure out where to go and what to do. As you're watching then, tragically into view comes this young wolf. He attacks the calf. He's biting, he's jumping, he ends up latching on to her snout, trying to wrestle her to the ground. At this point, my wife Stacy has her eyes covered and she's begging me to turn the channel. I'm like, no, you're watching this nature happen. But the calf fights. Her instincts kick in and she kicks back. She's jumping at the wolf. She is not going to die without a fight. And in that moment, you feel really good for her. You're like, go, you go, girl. Right? She's making her stand. But you realize she is just a calf and she is probably a really tasty one at that. And she's fighting the apex predator of the Yellowstone ecosystem. This is no joke. So you're preparing for what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, the wolf jumps back, lets go of the calf, and turns its head because something really loud is coming. And into view runs the mother bison. 1,000 pounds of protection of angry mom rage And she charges the wolf, and the calf is saved. It's beautiful. Friends, this is our story, isn't it? Rescued by the one that desires to gather us like a hen does her chicks, to save, to care for, to flourish us. And even if we get eaten, we'll be with Jesus. So take courage. Live trusting him, follow him, because trusting the Lord is the life of the believer. Let me leave you with just this thought from Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Let's pray.